Today is the third and last sermon in our short study on angels. In our first sermon, we looked at the worship of the angels. Though the angels are the most excellent of creatures, Jesus Christ is supremely above them. Therefore, God commands, let the angels of God worship him. And the encouragement from Hebrews 12 is that whenever the church assembles, multitudes are around us. The innumerable company of angels are with every church assembly, with us praising the triune God. And then we looked at the university of angels from 1 Peter chapter 1. The angels have intellectual desires. They want their their beings to be satisfied. And the thing they desire most of all is to study salvation to know God more and better. And so wonderfully, they look at the work of Christ and they come to every single Christian in the church And they watch and look at us and they see Christ in us. And when they see Christ in us doing his will, living like Christians and living not like the world, they learn more about God through us. That's astounding. I would never have met that if it wasn't in Ephesians 3.10. But today, our last subject is the ministry of angels. And you know from Hebrews chapter 1, the writer is emphasizing Christ's supremacy over the angels and evidence after evidence is given. And we've already looked at some of this evidence that Christ is the brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person. He created the worlds. He upholds all things. He has a more excellent name. He is the one the Father says, Thou art my only begotten Son. Uh, He is God himself from Psalm 45 and Psalm 102 and Psalm 110. And then the last evidence of this chapter is in verse 14. Christ is superior to the angels because the angels serve him. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? And so our three headings from this uh, lesson in verse 14 is one, the office of angels, two, the object of the angels' ministry, and three, the lessons of of the angel's ministry. So first of all, the office of the angels. An office is a particular work where someone is called and set apart to perform. So we sometimes speak in the church of the office of the deacon. Well, the deacon is therefore called and set apart to perform the work of a servant in the church, or an elder. An elder is someone called and set apart for the work 
of shepherding God's people. And our forefathers would often use the word office in a very generic way. Um, Any kind of calling where you're set apart to do a task, you can call that your office. So your office could be a Sabbath school teacher. Your office could be a teacher of children. Your office could be in the workplace. Your office could be as a mother. A particular work where you're called and set apart for the task. Well here, verse 14 reveals the office of the spirit, of the, of the angels. The word here, ministering, is the adjective. And it's describing a particular office. And the word here, ministering, is not the ordinary word for minister or service. Usually in your Bibles, when you see the word minister or servant or deacon, it's the exact same Greek word. But here it's not that word. It's a word that means special religious service. Special religious service. That's the word. And this form of the word is used in the Old Testament to describe the priesthood. For example, Numbers 4 verse 12. They shall take all the instruments of ministry, same word, wherewith they minister in the sanctuary. So how do you understand the office of the priesthood in the Old Testament? They're set apart and they're called to special religious service. Exodus 31.10 where special garments are to be given to the priests quote, to minister, same word, in the priest's office. And so this word means to be set apart for special religious service. And in the Old Testament when the word minister is used of angels It is this word being used. For example, Daniel chapter 7 verse 10. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. That's God. Thousands, sorry, thousand, thousands ministered unto him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. So, there in Daniel 7.10, these thousands of thousands of angels, their office is to minister. They're set apart, they're called, their office is special religious service. This means the angels were created for the primary function of being servants. Not rulers, Servants. And then here we describe the angels as ministering spirits. And this is to let us know that the angels are the best servants of all creation. There is not a better servant in creation of a created being than the angels. Christ, of course, is a greater servant, but he is God in the flesh. Spirits, you remember, means they are without body or physical uh, flesh. 
This means they do not have the infirmities and the weakness of the body. As ministering spirits, they have a greater knowledge to serve God. Matthew 18.20 says that the angels are before the face of God. They have direct access to God himself and they can receive knowledge from him. The angels are the wisest of all creatures. In 2 Samuel 14.17, a metaphor to show how discerning and wise someone is, is to compare them to the angels. There's more prudence and skill and wisdom in the angels than any other creature. Psalm 103, uh, 20, which we sung, it speaks of his angels that excel in strength and do his commandments. So they have greater power to serve God. Daniel 9.21, it speaks of the swiftness of the angels. The angels can do God's will very quickly. They could go from one place to the next. They can travel from heaven to earth, one place on earth to another place on earth, extremely quickly. I will leave the speculation about the speed of the angels, but just know they are swift and they can serve God very quickly. And they're pure. They're often called holy angels. So they obey God and do his will purely and in a holy manner without defilement or sin. And the final characteristic is their constancy. Revelation 7.15, they serve him day and night. The angels, because they are spirits, are the greatest servants in creation. But who is their master? Who is the one they obey? Well, here it simply says, ministering spirits sent forth. But sent forth from whom? Now, biblically speaking, we can say God. That's obvious. Verse 6, it says they are the angels of God. Uh, Psalm 103 says they do God's command. That's clear. But who specifically in chapter 1? It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. We're speaking here of the Son, verse 2. In verse 8, but unto the Son, he says, your throne, O God, forever and ever. You're the one who's eternal. You're the one who's unchanging. You're the one who never perishes. Verse 13, you're the one, the Son, set on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all spirits sent forth from the Son? So the master of the angels is Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you map out the life of Jesus Christ, you will know that angels were constantly ministering, serving him. You know that in Luke chapter 1, who serves him and announces his conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary? Angels. Who is it who announces the birth of Jesus Christ our Lord? 
Luke chapter 2, the angels announced it. Glory to God in the highest and goodwill towards all men. When our Lord was depleted in strength, when he was face to face with the devil in the wilderness in Matthew 4, when he has not eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, who comes to serve him? Matthew 4.11, angels from heaven minister to him. Or Gethsemane, when the agony of what he's about to do is so pressing upon him, he's lying on his face on the ground. The pressure of bearing God's wrath for our sin is so weighty, he sweat as it were great drops of blood. When his soul was exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Who came? Luke 24, sorry, Luke 22, 43, there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. I think we all stand in the mystery there. How did the angel strengthen him? And none of us know. And then, of course, Jesus Christ was dead and buried in the tomb. But praise be to God, on the third day, he is risen. Who removed the stone at the tomb? Matthew 28, verse 2 An angel descended from heaven and removed the stone. And Jesus Christ, seemingly, because it doesn't tell us how, he walked out that tomb. And then what would happen once Jesus Christ is exalted? You remember Nathaniel coming to Jesus Christ? And Jesus Christ says in John 1.51, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Meaning, when I have accomplished salvation, heaven is open. Sinners can come to my Father by faith in me. Angels will ascend and descend through me and will serve me and do my will. Isn't that most glorious? That Jesus Christ is so supreme and exalted that the angels with all their might and intelligence and wisdom and holiness and swiftness and constancy, they serve and do his will. But who is the object? Who is the object of receiving this service? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? This is glorious. Minister here is that ordinary word for minister. It means literally to wait at the table. We all know what it's like to go to a restaurant or maybe you've worked in a restaurant. And you've seen the waiter or the waitress and they come to you and they're ready. How can I serve you, sir? How can I serve you, madam? That's the angels work towards us. There are deacons, so to speak, because that's the literal word. 
They're our servants, our ministers. The heir of salvation. An heir is a son who has received an inheritance. The heir of salvation. Salvation here is future tense. Shall heir of salvation. It is speaking of those who inherit everlasting life. Romans 8.17 is a great verse for this. If we are children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And so here this verse is teaching... That Jesus Christ sends forth his serving angels to serve his people. And that is astounding. Think of a king who's at war with rebels. That king should and could go out to war and obliterate all those rebels. But this king doesn't do that. This king shows grace. He makes those rebels his sons. Then he takes his very best servants and says, You, my best servants, now you attend to my sons. You look after them and you do them good. And that's exactly what we, the people of God, have received in Christ. He is the king. He has made us from rebels to sons. And he's given his holy angels with all their power, wisdom and intelligence and said, O angels, serve the sons of God. Wait upon them. Do them good. Is that not glorious, brother and sister? That when we stop and think, we think we're lonely or it's hard and difficult in life, You have angels as your servants. But I think a moment to comment on the nature of the angel's service is very important because there's a lot of error or superstition and such like. I just want to say two things about the nature of the angel's service. One, it is corporate. And two, it is ordinary. First of all, it's corporate. Uh, In paganism and in Roman Catholicism, both teach that every single individual is appointed a personal guardian angel. But the Bible teaches differently. The Bible teaches that not one, not two, not ten, but an entire host, army of angels is given to every Christian. Some people might quote Matthew 18.20 where it speaks of uh, children speaking the little ones in the kingdom of God. They're angels. Well that's not a proof text for personal guardians is it? Because the angels is in plural. Their angels serve them. Plural angels serve them. Or someone might come to Acts chapter 12 verse I think it's at 51 or 53. It's Acts 12. I mean, verse 15. Either way, Acts 12, where 
Peter is released from prison by an angel. And Peter comes to the church, and the church, they lack faith here. They don't even believe that Peter could ever be released from prison, so they lack faith. But then it says, who's knocking at the door? Quote, it is his angel. Acts 12, 15 it is. Acts 12, 15. It is his angels. His is singular, his personal pronoun, therefore personal guardian. But that's not the case at all. You don't build a theology on a verse like that. It is simply saying there was an angel sent to do a particular task to release him from prison and this angel may have come to announce it and therefore an angel has done it. That's all it's saying. It is not a verse to prove personal guardianship because scripture must interpret scripture and scripture is consistent with scripture. And there's no verse in the Bible that says God or Jesus Christ appoints personal angels as guardians. He teaches rather when angels help God's people, it's plural, it's a host, it's an army. Psalm 91 verse 11, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. And we don't want a personal guardian. An angel is finite and limited. An angel is not omniscient or omnipotent or omnipresent. Only God is. And you think of all the enemies we have in the temporal world and the spiritual world. One angel in and of itself cannot deal with all those enemies and help us. But God gives us a host of angels And with all their power and might and intelligence and wisdom collectively serve us. Second clarification for the nature of their service. Ordinary. By this I mean the ordinary service of angels today is invisible and cannot be sensed. In the Bible, of course, there are visible manifestations. Genesis 18, they visibly come to Abraham and eat food. In Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, the angels are visibly there. You could see them. But today, we should not be expecting to visibly see angels. However, however, I would never, ever rule out at extraordinary times, according to God's will, an angel may visibly appear for a particular task. I say that because if we look at something else we deny continuing today, the apostolic sign gifts, those sign gifts are directly attached to the office of apostle. As the office of apostle continues, the signs continue. When the apostle ceases, the signs cease. And the apostleship has ceased, and in its place is the uh, office of elder. Because when you see Acts and when you see the epistles, who do, who, what's, the, what's, the, uh, what's the title of the people who come and rule and govern in God's church? Elders. Titus 1, 1 Timothy 2, Acts 14, and so on. So as apostles cease, the sign gifts cease. But that's not the case with the angels. 
They're not attached to the apostleship. And so if and when God would will at special times, God can freely give angels to appear. Now we want to reject superstition. We want to reject new ageism. We want to reject the excessism of the charismatic movement. But nevertheless, God is free. And if you read reformed books on angels, Isaac Ambrose, Christopher Love, James Usher, Cotton Mather, Puritans, they all say we should not ordinarily expect to see angels. It's not what happens. Nevertheless, God is sovereign and may allow them to visibly appear for certain reasons. And we have church testimony for this, do we not? We have people like Corrie ten Boom who says there were unexplainable things that happened when she was in the prison camps sharing the gospel. And she would testify to seeing or sensibly knowing the help of an angel. I believe her. Or John G. Payton, the Reformed Presbyterian missionary to the New Hebrides. Well, one night he was on the island and the tribesmen and the chiefs had all their knives and were going to slaughter him and eat him. And they all came to his tiny little defenseless hut. And they, him and his wife, just begged and prayed to God to intervene. And they waited and they waited and they waited and they were not attacked. Later on, why, why did they not attack us? He went to the chief and the chief said this, we did not attack you. We saw hundreds of men in bright shining garments standing before your hut with swords drawn ready to protect you. We didn't dare invade. God made his angels visible for that reason. And if you read Samuel Rutherford or you read other men, they can give you experiences without excess, without superstition, without new ageism, without charismaticism, real experiences of angels visibly intervening. But ordinarily, ordinarily, it is invisible behind the scenes and unbeknownst to us. I think that's a fair and balanced way to put it. So how exactly do angels serve us? Five brief ways. First of all, they carry out God's providence. In Ezekiel 1, you read that these angelic creatures described in metaphoric language Animal faces to describe different characteristics of angels with wings and the Son of Man sitting on the throne. And the Son of Man is sending these angelic creatures all around the world. They're swiftly obeying Christ and doing his will. Or Zechariah chapter 1 where the people of God are discouraged because the nations around them are stopping them from building the temple of the Lord. And it says angels are going everywhere and they're doing the will of God in providence. 
or Psalm 104. You know the psalm, it's about God providing food and the grass to grow and the animals to eat the grass and we get to eat the animals. And who's doing all that? Verse 4, angels as his ministering spirits are carrying out God's will in providence. On Daniel 10 and and Daniel chapter 11, Daniel's disturbed about the nations of uh, Greece and Persia. And then it says that Michael the angel went to these different kingdoms and moved them to do God's will. For this reason, our larger catechism, speaking of providence, says, God employing them all at his pleasure in the administration of his power, mercy and justice. So God uses angels to accomplish his providential will. And that great verse that we all attach to for providence, Romans 8.28, all things work for good. How? Many ways, but here's one of the ways. The angels of God serve Christ, serve us, and work out that goodness for us. Unseen, unsensed, but the biblical teaching. So think about the providence of your entire life. Temporal providences, spiritual providences, spousal providences. The angels were in your life doing it. Think about how you've grown as an individual or as a family. Think about the the times in providence where you knew that wasn't random. Something happened in your life that was unexplainable and you just simply said, well, that's just simply providential. What you mean that is God directly intervened and did something. Well, who was performing that thing? The angels for your service. Think about 2021. Everything that's happened in your life, 2021. Think of all the goodness and the mercy and the power of God in your temporal and spiritual life. Who worked it all together for your good? God. By what means? The angels of God serving you. And so you might think, you might be in a state of perplexion right now. Maybe there's things in your life that you have no idea what's going to happen in 2022. You know this. In your providence, the angels are serving you for your good. Don't know exactly what that means in terms of how. All I know is it happens and it's wonderful. Second act of service. Messengers. The very word angel simply means messenger. That's why sometimes ordinary people are called angels in the Bible. Like in Revelation 1, the angels of the seven churches are the messengers of the seven churches, are the pastors or the preachers. But one of the main functions of angels is to bring messages of God to God's people. Who gave the law on Sinai? You're going to stand back and you're going to say, God, you're right, you're right. But if you read Acts 7.53 and Galatians 3 verse 19, who gave the law on Mount Sinai? The angels delivered the law. 
Who delivered messages of God's will and salvation to the prophets? Read Daniel. Read Ezekiel. Read Zechariah. Angels. As we've already said, who announced the coming of Jesus Christ in Luke 1, Luke 2, Matthew 1? We all know the answer. Angels. The angels like to bring the message of God to God's people. And that's what they do today. Unseen, unknown, but still in the act of service. Do you think it was random or by chance that time when you were discouraged and there was a particular book or a particular verse that came to you out of nowhere? I have no doubt it was the angels. When Martin Lloyd-Jones was nearly quitting the ministry because of depression and he put himself in a home and he randomly came across Richard Sibbs the bruised reed and that awoke him from depression and began the ministry again. Was that just there? Of course not. It was God's providence. But who was working that providence? Angels. What about the man or the woman who's had enough of life and they're going for a walk somewhere and they're in the middle of a park bench and there's a tract? A tract? And they pick up that tract and that's the means to save them. Is that just happened? That's angels. Oh, but the man or the woman who's on the road and in a cheap hotel and just want to give it all up and outside the bedside cabinet there's a Gideon's Bible. And a million people read the Gideon's Bible and never, nothing happens to them. But this time they came across a particular verse or chapter and it was like light from on high. The angels bring God's message to God's people unseen and in unknown ways. Thirdly, protection. One of the, the biggest works of the angels in the Bible is to protect. In Daniel 6, they're given a title, Watchers. Why are they called the Watchers? William Gooch, the Puritan, says they're called Watchers because of this reason. Watchers, in regard of that constant, continual care which they have to keep saints from the manifold dangers whereunto they are subject. Saints have enemies which watch night and day to do them some mischief. The good angels, therefore, continually watch to keep them safe from his clutches. Think of all our enemies. People who want to do us wrong. People who want to uh, destroy us and hurt us. Think about the enemies of God in a nation against the church or a persecuting nation or a persecuting government against the church. Think about we wrestle not against flesh and blood but principalities and powers. That Satan is a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy Christians. He wants to destroy churches. He wants to tear everyone apart. Who's going to help us? God through the angels. For example, in Daniel chapter 10 verse 13, the angels are going to stop nations destroying the church. For example, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. So the kingdom of Persia were against me. Who, who's going to stop the kingdom of Persia? Daniel? 
But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Why didn't the kingdoms of Persia destroy? Because an angel intervened and protected him. Or 2 Kings 6.17, where a huge army comes around and Elisha and his servants there and the servants panicking Oh, we're going to be destroyed. Oh, it's the end. And Elisha says, do you not see? The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. (coughs) Angels are sent to defend and protect us. Many times we may have died because of falls or things or accidents or car crashes, or whatever, and we should have died. But God, Jesus Christ, sent an angel and intervened. Samuel Rutherford speaks about how when he was a young child, he fell into a large well, and there's no way getting out. And he says, a man in bright white clothing came and drew him out, and he was completely unharmed. Samuel Rutherford's no charismatic, but he believes in angels. How often in my life, in your life, God's defenders, how many Christians and churches and congregations and denominations and nations and persecutions should have been obliterated, but the angels came in and protected us. Fourth way they serve us, they supply our needs. It's interesting in John 5, where there are people who are sick and injured and so on, and they're waiting to be healed. Who's going to heal them? John 5, 4, an angel went down at a certain season in the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole, whatsoever disease he had. Remember, Jesus Christ was there. He didn't say, oh, you superstitious Jews, believe in God. He didn't rebuke them. Because God was doing it through the angel. Why is it sometimes medicine works and doesn't work? Do we not all say, it's God? Well, how does God do it? Through angels. Or in 1 Kings 19, well, Elijah is extremely tired, extremely uh, hungry, completely weak. He's depressed. He just wants to give up and die. God sends an angel to give him food. How many times has maybe a Christian been so hungry and starving, out of nowhere, food came and supplied? How many times has George Miller uh, prayed for milk when the children were starving? And what happens when they're just about to sit down? knock at the door and lots of milk are given for the children God's doing it but how's he doing it through the ministry of angels fifth and last angels serve us in death and eternity right we we know what a soul is well to an extent we know a soul is a local spiritual 
part of our human nature. Our souls are not omniscient, omnipresent or omnipotent. Okay? So when a Christian dies, how does their soul get from the person dying to heaven? Angels. Leviticus chapter 16, 22. And this is not a parable. It doesn't say it's a parable. It's a long, normal language. The beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom is just a, a synonym for heaven. The angels. And I've never read a reformed book that denied this. So this is not just my own personal little... The books I've read on angels have all taught that angels guide the soul to heaven. And in Revelation 21.12, it describes heaven with angels at the gates. And so you can imagine that when we who are in Christ die, our souls are alive and the angels are guiding our souls to be in the very presence of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in Matthew 24, 31, when the angels return with Christ and his glory, it says, And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So on resurrection day, Christ is going to come with his angels. We're going to be raised body and soul. Those who have not died, their bodies will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. And then the angels will come and take us in our resurrected bodies to be with the Lord. And then in Revelation chapter 7 gives an insight to heaven. It says that the angels of God are our companions, worshipping and praising God and Jesus Christ for all eternity. Now what do we learn from this? I think comfort has to be the main one. All our enemies, all our afflictions, spiritual and temporal, as a church, uh, the visible church I'm speaking here, we can feel like we're absolutely nothing. This government, that government, this area of society, that area of society, they're all against us. You might think that the devil's winning and the devil's succeeding. He's destroying individuals. He's destroying families. He's destroying congregations. He's destroying churches. And we say no. Because we have angels. John Calvin. From this passage, the faithful receive no small consolation. For they hear that celestial hosts are assigned to them as ministers. In order to secure their salvation, it is indeed no common pledge of God's love toward us, that they are continually engaged in our behalf. Hence also proceeds a singular confirmation to our faith that our salvation being defended by such guardians is beyond the reach of danger. Well then, has God provided for our infirmities by giving us such assistance to oppose Satan and to put forth their power in every way to defend us. What we need is the eyes of faith. 
When Elisha's servant could not see, Elisha prayed, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about. So we as the people of God need to spiritually open our eyes. By faith, believe the Bible and see angels serving us for our good. And if we reflect back to 2021, and at this time of year we're looking forward to 2022, oh, what comfort we have as individuals, as families, as a congregation, as a church, as believers united to the Saviour. We have holy, wise, powerful, pure, constant, fiery angels serving us. Let us praise God for giving us creatures his heavenly attendance. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we bless thee for this verse, this truth, the teaching from the Holy Scriptures. Father, uh, so often we are like Elisha's servants and we cannot see So we pray for the Spirit of God to open our spiritual sight and by faith we can see that angels minister to us every single day. O Lord, use this truth to bring great encouragement and strength to our faith and to know we will persevere to the end because we're kept by the word of thy power and angels are given to bring us to the celestial city. In Jesus' name, amen.